Stacey. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast. Podcast. Where we talk about things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 36. This week it's Terry's turn to share something that she's found interesting. What have you got for us today, Terry? Well, Daisy, this week, um, those who work with me in my job uh, know this is a person and a topic that I like to talk about a lot, but I ran across an episode of a podcast that I had not listened to before. The podcast is called The Happiness Lab with Dr. Lori Santos, and I really liked this episode, and it's part of a kind of New Year four-episode series on happiness and kind of New Year's resolution and how to set yourself up for happiness. So this one is called Dump Your Inner Drill Sergeant. You've probably heard me talk about this before, but I am always still amazed when coincidences happen, and I know they're not actually coincidences. But the other night for my work, um, I do some group support groups, and I was meeting with a group and A person in the group asked why I always talk about this kind of gentle approach to how you talk to yourself. And his comment was that he had always learned to be like a drill sergeant. And so I was trying to explain from my perspective of why that doesn't work for a lot of people and may work for some. The next morning, I got up, pulled up my phone to do something And this episode just kind of popped out. Hmm. And so I started listening and it was exactly this topic. The author of the book that I always recommend, her name is Kristen Neff, and she is the guest on this episode. So dumping your drill sergeant, Kristen Neff talks about instead using self-compassion. For years, I've been using this concept with clients talking about our inner coach because one of my mentors had taught us this concept in one of my classes. And the idea that a lot of us have a coach that is similar to a basketball coach here in the U.S. years ago who would violently yell and scream and throw things at players, hit people, um, referees and everything. And many of us have a self-coach that acts like that. It yells negative things to us. It's very chastising, shaming, and... um, I usually try to teach people to fire that coach and to get a coach that's really more nurturing, resourceful, and everything. So I get excited about this topic, as you can tell. So Chris and Neff was talking about the idea that when Lori Santos introduced the podcast episode, she said, you know, this is a time of year when many of us are working on making big changes, resolutions, habit changes. And oftentimes, people approach that with setting themselves up with very rigid or restrictive extremes that they're going to do, all these penalties if they don't do it, and things like that. And so they really talked about this then. How can we go about things without that approach? The drill sergeant approach is more coming from the place of self-criticism. It's unkind and being cruel to yourself. And usually what it elicits from many of us is shame feeling bad about ourselves as a person. Kristen Neff was talking about the idea that feeling bad about an action is okay. So guilt is not actually a negative feeling. I know some of us might think psychologically it's not good, but 
guilt for a behavior is healthy. So if I've done something, I've wronged someone, I've harmed someone, feeling guilty about that is actually healthy because it can help me to change the behavior. The problem is when we turn that negative toward ourselves and then it's unhealthy. It causes us to kind of dissociate from ourselves, to cut off from other people, causes shame, It takes away our motivation and actually can kind of debilitate us. So for many people, this drill sergeant approach is really negative. So instead of using this drill sergeant approach, Kristen Neff really proposes the concept of self-compassion and how empowering that is. So I'm just going to really kind of go over what self-compassion is, what it isn't, and maybe then how people might work on developing it. The word actually compassion means suffer with. Hmm. And so when we think about having compassion for other people, it means that we're able to see their struggle, feel warmth, feel kind of heartened by their struggle, and then have enough care to want to help with this struggle. So if we value in doing this for others, if we just turn that toward ourselves and let ourselves in as the recipient of that, that is self-compassion. It's not pity It's not enabling. It's just turning this warmth, acceptance, and support inward toward ourselves, not just toward other people. One part of being self-compassionate involves being mindful of things, and not mindfulness in the grander scheme of things, the way other people talk about it, but just being aware, being aware of our suffering. Because if we're not aware of it, if we push it down and say, nope, I don't need to feel bad about this, or I shouldn't feel bad about that, then we can't offer ourselves compassion because we're ignoring the struggle. Or if we get too lost in the struggle, if we get too overwhelmed by the feelings of the struggle, we can't really have compassion either. Instead, it's important to recognize that we are struggling. And she talked about the idea that in order to really be self-compassionate, we have to recognize that all people struggle. Life is difficult for everyone, more difficult for some, and I love that she said this, look, people who are in the majority for certain things struggle a lot less than people in a minority position. And so there are those of us who are oppressed and those of us who are not, and those are very different. So not just equating all suffering, but having an awareness that everyone struggles helps us accept our struggle. We are not unique because we're having a struggle, so it does not make us something negative about us. She then talked about the idea that this drill sergeant approach, basically we feel threatened by our mistakes or failures. And when we feel threatened, and you and I've talked about this, you just mentioned it last week, you know, our amygdala causes us to go into fight, flight, or freeze mode. It really kind of teaches us when I've made a mistake or have failed, I am the problem, like I'm the enemy. And that sets us up for future struggle. She talked about the idea that, again, these are threat and defense responses. So if I fight, I defend myself and I I make acceptance and an apology more difficult. If I flee, Then I'm seeking safety behavior to protect myself from the judgment or rejection from others. And if I just freeze, if I kind of play dead, maybe whatever is threatening will just go away. 
So we use those mechanisms to protect ourselves. And obviously that interferes with our feeling positive about ourselves. But if you think about struggles, mistakes, failures, we don't feel threatened by other people. So if your friend fails at something, you don't feel threatened by that. You see her or him struggle and you feel compassionate about that. You feel mm. supportive of that. Mm, yeah, good point. So the important thing is that we learn to do what we would do for others and to turn that inward for ourselves. So one thing that we've learned from self-compassion through research is that people who are able to treat themselves with self-compassion are more likely to recover better from adversity and to be motivated to improve whatever it is that they're working on. They have more grit and determination when they have more self-compassion. And she shared this study that I thought was interesting from a group of students from Berkeley. And it was a vocabulary test. It was nearly impossible test. And they all did poorly on it. They divided them into three groups. To one group of students, they encouraged them to have self-compassion. They would say, look, everyone does very poorly on this exam. It is a very hard exam. These are the hardest words possible. So, you know, gave them that sense of, you know, they're not failures for, for not doing well in this. The second group, they gave them self-esteem and they said, you're great. Look at you. You're so smart. You're at Berkeley. I mean, who cares about this test? And then the third group, they used kind of a drill sergeant. They shamed them. They said, how could you fail this? Look at you. You're a Berkeley student. You should be able to do this. And what they found is the students who they had encouraged to use self-compassion studied more and prepared better for the next test. They felt motivated and they felt like it was possible. They weren't condemning themselves. Those that they just gave good self-esteem to, they didn't bother preparing more because now you've kind of taught them, look, it's too hard anyway, it doesn't matter, but you're great. So I think this is a big concept that people confuse when I talk about self-compassion or when they hear that. They think it just means self-esteem, just saying positive things towards yourself. And it's actually not that at all. It's actually saying self-compassion is the ability to have warmth, acceptance, and support for yourself, despite the fact that you're human and have flaws and weaknesses and don't do things perfectly. It's, it's a completely different concept. So again, self-criticism taps into our threat defense system. Whereas compassion actually taps into what she referred to as our mammalian care system, that mammals have a drive to take care of. And what this does is it activates our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the calming part. It slows the sympathetic pathways or deactivates those, releases oxytocin and opiates. So you can see that it's actually a really powerful tool to be in a place of compassion. So self-compassion works on keeping us safe through the care model versus the threat response that the criticism route would go. Research shows that self-compassion is good for our health, less depression and stress. It enhances immune function, improves our sleep. We can experience less pain, improves our learning outcomes, improved motivation, better interpersonal relationships, 
just about all the behaviors that are about self-care and being better and happier person can be positively affected by using self-compassion. The other big difference between self-compassion and self-esteem is that self-esteem is contingent on success. Hmm. It's a positive sense of self, but it really involves feeling special or above average or better than others, but it's based on success or achieving. Whereas self-compassion, it's not dependent on success. It's part of being human. We're going to be imperfect. And then again, how can I still be good to myself? Some people struggle with the concept of self-compassion because they think it sounds either too weak or that it's just enabling. Kristen Neff makes a big deal to kind of separate these two out. And she talked about some other research from combat veterans. They found that those soldiers who were able to deal with stressors through self-compassion, when they came back out of the combat situation, they experienced less substance abuse, less PTSD responses, and a decreased rate of suicide. So obviously, it's not a weak thing. It actually helps people to manage very complicated situations better. And again, other people think it means that I'm going to slack off. I'm just going to enable myself or give myself reasons to not do better. And as I said earlier, self-compassion actually can be very motivating. It can encourage people to accept that they didn't do well on something, but that they can work toward improving that rather than just giving them an excuse not to do more. And actually using kind of the drill sergeant approach is more likely to shut down that motivation. So I think that's an important distinction. The other thing that Kristen Neff talked about that I really liked is she said, there's not a lot that we all have to do to learn to be self-compassionate. Now, she has written a book about this that I recommend to everyone. I think it's an amazing book. And there's a workbook. Couldn't recommend books more than those two. However, What she said realistically is these are skills we have, most of us have at least, with other people. Mm. Parents who have a child who is struggling with something, rather than shaming them, have probably learned it's more helpful if you accept that they're struggling, show that you understand, and encourage how can I help. And so these are things that we want to do for other people. And now again, it's just turning it into ourselves. So one thing she encouraged while people are working on kind of developing their self-compassion is to think about what would a helpful person say to me? What would I want to hear in this situation? And for some people, they have to start with what would I say to my best friend or my sister or whoever, you know, is struggling? How would I support them? And then how can I say that to myself? The ingredients of being mindful recognizing your struggle rather than escaping the struggle. Also recognizing that you're not alone, giving kindness to yourself. And those can be words. Touch is an important part of being kind and also being patient with yourself. And then she also encouraged people to recognize if this is not your norm, which for most of us, it's not. We're kind of taught the more drill sergeant approach that it does get easier over time. I thought this one was interesting for both of us, Daisy. The care approach, the self-compassion care approach can motivate people. You know, there's some biological reasons why, but having that positive care helps us 
in lots of ways. And one of the things she talked about is that self-compassion helps reduce procrastination, Mm. (laughs) partly because it can help wipe out the fear of failure. It instead helps you learn from failure. If you don't do well at something, what can you learn? How can you grow? What do you need to take into the future? So I really wanted to highlight that point. I know I need to remind myself of that. The last part that Kristen Neff talked about in this podcast episode, I was so kind of affirmed in hearing because I, again, as I said, have been for years talking about this self-coach concept. And what she closed out with is really, if you're working on developing your self-compassion, to think about an internal coach that holds you accountable. You cannot BS this coach. They see, they know but that they are wise, resourceful, kind, and accepting. And to imagine having that person within you talking you through, you know, complicated things. And of course, it just felt good to know that this strategy that I've been trying to teach people for so long is something that she really encourages as far as the self-compassion approach. So it was kind of that idea of, I knew about self-compassion before I knew about self-compassion, so that felt good. But I think this is just a great basis for a lot of us to work on. And for a lot of us, I think it's just awareness to start doing it more actively, but they are skills we already have. Yeah, I like that. I like the thread, the way you wove through from one thing to the next, and that that differentiation between drill sergeant and the coach because that got me thinking while you were talking about it to start with about how some people seem to like that boot camp approach especially it seems for things like exercise sometimes for Mm -hmm. diet actually um, a quite well-known person who has I think it's a keto program she has she very much sells it as I'm a sort of drill sergeant boot camp, mm-hmm. no BS type, you know, I'm going to lay down the law and I'm going to hold you accountable. And I know some people do thrive on that approach. Mm-hmm. It's something I've always struggled with and always railed against because it's so completely the opposite to what works for me. But I do know that there are people that that works for, but I certainly prefer the more nurturing coach approach But I like what you then went on to talk about how, because I think, especially when there's something that we have the opposite to of resonating with, when we really rail against it and have that sort of knee-jerk reaction to, gosh, that's not an approach that would work for me, is that we we quite often have a tendency to go too far the other way. Mm -hmm. So I liked how when you started talking about self-compassion and use those examples to show what it isn't, you know, and I quite often see that, for example, in in my Facebook group where somebody is beating themselves up, where somebody is berating themselves the way um, that harsh drill sergeant or coach that throws things at them would do. Mm-hmm. And is quite often our tendency to do when we failed quote unquote, whatever it is, our diet resolution, our exercise resolution, whatever it is. I'm such a failure. I failed at this. I've done this wrong. I've done that wrong. And quite often the tendency with a lot of the 
responses and a lot of the comments are to swing way too far the other way. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, don't beat yourself up. That's important. But just to go down the self-esteem route, which mm-hmm. I can totally see why people do, you know, no, you're amazing and do this, this and the other. Although in a way it's helpful, it's not as helpful as it could be. Mm-hmm. And I liked what you said to start with about defining what self-compassion was and what it wasn't. And mm-hmm. I like when you defined what compassion was about, you know, that you're sitting with somebody else in that space. And it took me back to your last episode with the poem that you read us from Rumi about how important it is to sit with all the emotions, to mm-hmm. let all the emotions in and to experience them before we can move forward into a happier place. Well, the same with this, I think, with that seems to be anyway an important part of of self-compassion and indeed compassion if you're helping other people is to not try and deny mm-hmm. what went wrong, not try and lose that accountability where you ended with the really good coach that's in your head is someone that does hold you accountable. So someone that does say, hey, yeah, you did make a mistake or you did do something that wasn't the best course of action. It wasn't the best decision to make to eat all that chocolate cake when, you know, you'd committed to doing something different. However, You know, let's sit with that. Let's experience those emotions and let's find a better way forward in a compassionate way. Mm -hmm. Like it always is, I think, is trying to find that really solid middle ground where we can be helpful not only to others, but ourselves. And I think, I think that would be a really good, and you hear it all the time, don't you? when people find it so easy to be negative about themselves, to beat themselves up. That's typical advice, isn't it? What advice would you give to somebody if they came to you with this problem? If it was like you said, if it was your best friend, if it was your sister who was coming to you with that problem, how would you advise them? What would you be saying to them? And that we find it difficult to turn that on ourselves and I think that would that would certainly be a going back to thinking of small steps and ways to try and make change is to maybe just try and be mindful of the next time you do start to beat yourself up Mm -hmm. because the chances are I know I will (laughs) sure because that's certainly my tendency is to straight away start and to kick in with a small step my small step might be just to be aware of it, not overly try and stop it, just to be aware of it. And then the next small step, be aware of it and start maybe distancing myself a little bit in imagining, you know, this is my sister who's coming to me with this problem. How would I advise them mm-hmm. next step to turn it back on yourself? I guess my point is that this is quite a big and difficult change, I think, to make because we've all heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stop beating yourself up. What would you say if this was your best friend who came to you with that problem? We all kind of know that strategy, but we still find it difficult to put in place. So I guess trying to work towards making that a habit, making that something that you actually do start doing on a regular basis. Because as you've shown with these studies that you talk about, that really is the best way forward. 
you know, it's in that place of self-compassion. It sounds like you get your brain into a productive place when you start thinking actually just about how your brain works and how you're bypassing the problem areas like the fear, flight, freeze response. And you're getting into that place where you can be creative, where you can rationalize things, because that's actually where you can be productive. Mm -hmm. That's where you can be in a place to put strategies in place and to do better next time. Absolutely. You just reminded me of something else from the talk that was so important to me. I've always struggled with this too. When you say self-compassion, people often think selfish. And at some point in here, Kristen Neff said, look, it's not like you're given a certain number of compassion tokens. And if you use three of them for yourself, you only have two more to use for other people. Mm-hmm. More self-compassion means you have even more ability to have compassion for others. You know, it grows rather than you, you're, it's not a finite resource that you're going to use up. And she said, Darwin, although he talked about survival of the fittest, talked even more about survival of the kindest. It's mm, interesting. That evolutionarily, we learned kindness because to bond, feel warmth for and from others, and to care for others helped us survive. We needed that ability to bond. I'm going to remember that from this, that survival of the kindest, especially in all that's going on in the world right now. I think that's a big piece of this, being kind to yourself, being kind to others, that they really go hand in hand. So I hope that people can take that from this episode as well. Yes, I like that. And thinking of it as a muscle that you need to strengthen. And I like that, what you said with the tokens, that it's that it's not going to run out, mm-hmm. that actually it's something that works well where you build momentum and has this cumulative effect. Actually, the more you practice it, the more you start using it both on yourself and for other people, the more naturally it comes, the more easy. And it, and it does have this really good knock-on and productive effect. Awesome. Sounds like we're on the same page. I hope everyone else takes some good things from this. And again, can't recommend the books enough. Um, This was just a podcast episode with the author, but the book, Self-Compassion, and then the workbook also, highly recommend to everyone. Yes, that sounds like a really good one to put on my reading list too. There you go. I'm going to do that. Well, I hope you have a wonderful week, Terry, and everyone else at home too. Thanks, Daisy. Take care, everybody. 